welcome to the Ponies Help Children podcast. Today I'm joined with a really special guest, Dr. Lena Case, who is an associate professor at the University of Stirling, who is interested in child health. So we're going to speak a little bit about her background and research and how that then ties into Ponies Help Children, because she's been a huge part in our transformation, especially in feedback forms and the development, which I'm sure we're going to touch on later on. For anyone that wants a little bit of a background to this podcast, we um, recorded a podcast earlier on with Melina, who's a student at University of Stirling. So she also provides a different perspective to the similar topics. So that's episode eight, if you're interested. So good afternoon, how are you? Good afternoon, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, excellent. Really excited for this episode. As many of our listeners know, I study psychology at university, so one of my favourite episodes to record was the episode with Melina, and I've wanted you on the podcast pretty much since its inception, so I'm really looking forward to this. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm looking forward to speak today with you and yeah, share a bit of our background. I'm glad it finally worked out to make it happen. <laughs> Definitely. So speak to me about your background in psychology. What is your interests? Any research that you've done maybe a couple of years ago? Yeah, so I've always been interested in children's health, even from a young age onwards. So I knew if I was choosing a career that it was going to be somewhere in children's health. But um, my interest for psychology grew later on when I started to understand that if a child has a physical disability or a physical illness, there's actually quite a lot of psychology related to that as well. Like there's a lot of anxiety or stress associated with those physical illnesses. And that started piquing my interest when I was deciding where to go after secondary to secondary school. So I started psychology and throughout my whole training and then future career indeed, child health really piqued my interest and I continue to kind of specialise in that. So I mostly do research on children's pain experiences, both acute and chronic. So acute, for example, from a vaccination and how can we make sure those are as painless as possible for the children. But also chronic pain conditions like rheumatoid arthritis or chronic low back pain. And my interest is mostly in how that kind of impacts the families, the entire family. So the siblings, the parents, the grandparents sometimes, but also the teachers, their friends, so everyone involved in that social life of that a child kind of how does that impact them in a psychological way in the sense of anxiety around that, stress around that, uh, maybe low feelings around those illnesses. So I've done quite a lot of research on that showing that a child's pain of physical illness doesn't just impact the child but kind of impacts the wider environment and we need to support everyone in that environment to deal with the child's pain experiences and while pain is my kind of key interest lots of the things that I'm researching apply to a wide variety of Things that can happen to a child, uh, not just pain experiences, but also kind of other diagnoses like autism or ADHD or just a child being in a negative circumstance, negative family circumstances. Those kind of underlying principles of how it affects everyone involved kind of apply there as well. So I do oftentimes kind of broaden my interest into beyond the pain world as well. Yeah, for sure. That's something that we 
have mentioned on the podcast and even outside of the podcast, as many of our listeners will know, of the interconnectedness that psychology as a whole brings, that you may want to, in inverted commas, treat one thing, but actually if you look at the wider circle of the impacts that that could be having, that there's so many different factors involved on it may, obviously it only be in, impacting that individual, but also where those strands then go to, such as family, etc. And we see that quite a lot with the charity of a child will be coming with autism, for example, but they work with our ponies and they get on really, really well. But you also see that that then impacts home life, that home life's a little bit easier for parents or carers, etc., etc. Indeed. And uh, yeah, that social connectedness and kind of the, we are social beings, we can't ignore that. And I think anything that impacts a person kind of impacts their whole social network. And that's really what has been fascinating me about something very, a very physical thing like pain, where many people still think, oh, it's just a physical experience has such widespread impacts. Even sometimes, like I said, I did some research on acute pain, like pain from vaccinations or needle procedures. People just sometimes think, oh, it's just a few seconds. It will be over and done with. And that's that has no long lasting impact. But we have quite a lot of adults with needle phobia, avoiding needle procedures that are kind of potentially improving their health quite substantially. And these stem from very early negative experiences as a child with needles. So, yeah, even just five second vaccination pain experience can have long lasting impacts and beyond the, the person is just on the whole social environment. So, yeah. Long story short, pain is such a really interesting, for many people, seen as a physical experience, but it has such widespread psychosocial influences as well, uh, which I have always been intrigued by. Yeah, no, I completely understand that and agree that it's so interconnected and being able to understand that is crucial in being able to set plans and move forward effectively. So before coming on the podcast today, I was chatting to my mum just to get a little bit of background on yourself because I have never worked with you personally. I've always been at school or uni whenever you're chatting to mum. But she said that your work with, or this relationship started around 2018, um, that a student at Stirling put you in contact with one another. And are you able to expand on that for our listeners a little bit, on how the relationship has started and how that developed? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I was actually in preparation for this podcast, trying to find back when we first met. And it was indeed around 2018. And it was, I think, an email that I had gone around. Your mum, I think, had been contacting either somebody, another staff member in the department or a student in the department, I don't know exactly anymore, to get some kind of support to evaluate your services. I think your mum was seeing the benefits it was having on the children who participated participated in the uh, sessions, but wanted some kind of help from researchers on evaluating that in a more standard way. And somehow that email ended up in my inbox. And I found it really interesting because it was around, it was focused on children, anything with children always piques my interest. 
but especially the kind of connection with animals as well. And even though, and I think I have said that with your mom as well, the first time we met is that even though I didn't have the expertise on doing research with animal assisted therapy or kind of animal supporting children's health, I knew from a kind of personal interests. I have a very strong personal interest in animals. I love working with animals. We have pets ourselves as a child. I uh, did quite a lot of summer uh, camps with ponies and horses. Um, so I've always been kind of very much orientated to animals. And I knew I followed the research like from a more personal interest that I saw it grow that children with either physical illnesses or with kind of psychological challenges who get support from, for example, a dog do quite well. And but that research was still growing. So when I saw that email, I was like, oh, I have kind of a personal interest in that, even though my professional expertise is more on a different aspect, I can still probably help the service because the evaluation that, that you were looking for was very much similar to kind of the questions that we're asking to young people with pain and their parents. So it was kind of that nice merge of, I think I can professionally help with how you formulate the questions for your evaluation forms and the personal. I want to just know more about how animal assisted therapy kind of supports young people. And then I was invited to uh, your services and just has the relationship has just bloomed from there because when I saw it with my own eyes and saw the ponies and what the kind of things you're doing during the sessions, I just was blown away with the amount of support given and just the, the yeah, the friendliness and that doesn't even capture it, but yeah, just a warmth coming from everyone involved uh, in the services, even back in 2018. I just was like, yes, I really want to help you evaluate the service because I can see indeed how beneficial this is. And if we can put that black on white uh, using standardized measures and help you support in that way, then yeah, whatever I can do, that would be great. So something that you've touched on there is the evaluation of our services, which is something that we have always struggled with up until your involvement, because we understood from a non-psychological point of view, there is definitely benefits. We can see that. We hear it from parents just in off-the-cuff comments, but we didn't have anything that was really solid and research-based that was able to definitively prove change and difference and from a psychological concept of significant difference is what we're doing here significantly different in this intervention creating something better for these children so if you'd like to speak about how your involvement has contributed to this so, yeah, I can definitely talk more about that because I think it was a really nice example of how we really worked together very closely. Uh, your mum bringing in her expertise of what she has heard from the parents and what she believes uh, would be changing uh, and what their kind of aim is of changing with the sessions. And then my expertise of how we can actually assess that from a scientific point of view because if we then looked at the literature as well uh digged into it a little bit more myself as well 
well as my students I'm supervising, we noticed that many are struggling with that. The studies are either very experimental and don't actually what we call have ecological validity because they wouldn't match what is happening in real life. Uh, but then the real life services have struggles with kind of evaluating it um, in an appropriate scientific way. Um, so the research in this area is a bit struggling in general with that, not just your services. So we were happy to kind of collaborate on that to make sure that your services can be evaluated appropriately, because I think one of the issues is that each service is also so unique. So while you want to use standard ways of evaluating things like mental health and emotional well-being, you still need to also make it suitable for your your exact way of how you work in your service. And this is where that collaboration was so beautiful for that. So we had quite a lot of conversations at the start of like, what would we want to focus on? Um, and we came out with things like emotional well-being, social well-being were really important. And then also asking a little bit more around what exactly in the emotions and emotional well-being, emotional skills was changing. And interestingly, that collaboration is also changed over the years or the evaluation forms have changed over the years because what we felt was important to ask and how to ask it in 2018 was of course needing to be revised every so often so we have every so often changed the evaluation forms a bit because either the population that's attending the sessions is changing the kind of symptoms that you're seeing the children showing up it is changing but also we kind of learn better like what people find easy to complete or difficult to complete. So it's in that way also nice to see that we keep adopting the evaluation forms to make sure they're fit for purpose for your services while, remain, while remaining scientific and standardized. So we use kind of standardized questionnaires or standardized questions from a website called Promise, which kind of identifies standardized questions that are relevant for people with lived experiences and have helped design these questions. And they're really focused on well-being and mental health. So we know they're kind of evidence-based questions. Uh, we ask around emotion, like I said, emotional well-being, social well-being. Uh, we also ask about their feelings of sadness, loneliness, worry, and to make sure that we have a baseline, we ask about that before the start of the um, sessions with Ponies Help Children. And then we ask it at the end of our block. So after the eight sessions, we ask the same questions again so we can see if there actually has been a change. And that's really important that we do that at the two moments. And in the last bit, at the end of the sessions, we also ask a little bit more about what actually did they find helpful, how satisfied were they with the services and kind of the change that they have been seeing. And specifically around the emotions, we ask if they feel the children are calmer, if they're being better at expressing their emotions. So this is a kind of focus of the questions that we're asking. And what I think is really important is that we do a mix of what we call quantitative and qualitative data. So quantitative is that we really ask that question, for example, how is the emotional well-being of your child now? And they have a score from one to 10 to say, not good at all to very good. And that's the quantitative data that we collect. So we have a number that we can kind of compare from before the start of the sessions to at the end of the sessions, if there's a change. 
But also we have what we call qualitative data. And there we ask, can you tell us how you feel your child has changed or what has helped your child the most? And then people can just write down whatever they want. And this is really helpful for us to fully understand what the parents feel has really changed and the child get like a deeper understanding of that than just that number. So I think the combination of those two has really given us a good insight of how um, supportive and how impactful the services are. Yeah, for sure. That's something that we touch on at university. So uh, now that I'm in third year, we have started to move into a more qualitative methods because all of the research that we've done up to now in our own practice has been quantitative because it's slightly more methodical. So we are starting to learn the benefits of qualitative and how that provides a different layer of information that is really beneficial that it's not always about the numbers changing that that paints one picture but also the analysis of themes that comes from the qualitative provides such a richer understanding of the lived experience as you say that this individual or parents and guardians are their understanding on the change that's happened at home or from the services etc etc so having both of them married up together surely provides a really rich understanding of our services exactly exactly and if i can go into kind of a little bit more of maybe what we found so far is that since 2018 we have surveyed over 150 parents of children or teachers of children who attend to services and quite consistently with the numbers we do see that they significantly show differences or improvements in emotional and social well-being so that kind of number from zero to ten goes up at the end of the session so they are better at their emotional and social well-being and their feelings of sadness, loneliness and worry decrease. At the same or in the same vein, we see that the parents are extremely satisfied um, with the sessions and find them extremely helpful. That score out of 10 is really high, is around 9 out of 10 on average. So the numbers give us a really interesting and very promising view that the services are making a significant change to the children's well-being. And with significant, we mean it's a, it's better than chance. It's not just by chance that the child's well-being is better. It's better than chance. But then reading the responses of the parents or the teachers towards these open questions where they can write down what actually they found the most helpful or what do they see has improved in their child, we get a deeper understanding of, well, what exactly in that emotional or social well-being has changed. And for example, for the social well-being, what I found stood out so nicely is things like parents saying that the children are really uh, having an opportunity to feel welcomed. They are starting to trust people more because they have learned that in some safe spaces, people can actually be trusted. They have started creating a sense of belonging. Some of them even have improved listening skills and express more empathy. And that's something we would have never seen with just 
some numbers on how well is your child's social well-being at the moment. And these are really need to pick out and do qualitative data that we have. And the one that I thought that was also really neat was how we see that children really grow as individuals. But most children really gain in confidence quite a bit, becoming more independent and things that they were used to be afraid of doing on their own they're now actually trying out on their own and that's really nice to understand like what they what the parents are meaning by this was really helpful we really are satisfied with these services we have a bit more detail on what exactly that means for their specific child yeah that's fantastic being able to provide that that all-round understanding is effectively what you're aiming for of understanding that perspective of the worry, the sense of belonging, just that overall picture which you're able to enrich with the questions that you're asking and the evidence that you're backing it up with. Something that mum mentioned before coming on was that quite recently we're going to start implementing something a little bit different, not previously done with the charity, is selecting some of our participants to fill in their own feedback form and how they interpret their change being would you like to speak about that and the rationale behind that yes definitely that kind of was uh, bringing me to my next point i wanted to bring up as well that so far the evaluations that we have have always been from a caregiver perspective so either the parents who bring them to the sessions or the teachers who bring them to the sessions and that's a really important perspective to have because For children, they are the kind of main deciders, the main responsibility takers. So we do need to see that caregiver perspective. But there is also more and more argument to, and even in general in the scientific community, that children do have a voice themselves as well, even though they might not have yet um, the responsibilities or the independence levels that they can take actions or decisions for themselves. It is important to listen to their voice as well. And even children as young as six years of age can express how they're feeling, can express changes, can express what they think about something very consistently and coherently and while we need to think carefully how exactly to assess children in a certain sense that we need to be careful of how we word things that it's on their level that they understand what we're asking them but also we need to be careful that we don't put words in their mouths that we're as open as possible so they use their own word to share with us their feelings and their experiences it is possible and it's really important to hear that voice of the children even if it's similar to what the parents experience but especially in the case where children might have a slightly different perspective i think that is definitely a next step that we're hoping to take soon to get even a more comprehensive understanding of what the services are actually changing in a child's life. Because even though a caregiver perspective is really important, it might not yet capture entirely what is what the services actually mean for a child exactly. And it's always uh, what we call a proxy measure. So you never get the real full picture because it's always an interpretation of that parent or that caregiver with their own thoughts, their own background, their own experiences mixed in that they use to interpret how the child is doing. So yes, exciting to, in the next step, ask children themselves, like, uh, how are you feeling? Uh, what has changed? What have you found most helpful? And we're working on kind of finding the right way to do that. 
Yeah, that's something that we discussed in this first semester of third year, of the challenges of research of young people and the way that we need to intricately think so that we can do the research constructively for um, these participants because I think it was in developmental psychology we were talking about the majority of the research for anyone under the age of like 14 or so the majority of it was either done by parents on how they believe their child is developing or it's done by biological markers which obviously are 100% factual that you can't alter them because the biggest challenge with young people is that they may try and change their response so that it fits the researcher's impression or what they believe the researcher wants to hear so I'm really looking forward to seeing how you tackle that in a creative way to be able to get the most out of the children because I completely agree that research about children without actually asking the children their impression is um, so critical to getting that full holistic picture. Exactly. And I think this is, again, where that kind of relationship or collaboration collaboration is working so neatly, because even though my kind of main research area is very different and is in pain, it's working with children of the same age range. So I can bring in that expertise of how do you ask questions appropriately to the children, because whether that's asking about pain or well-being or anxiety, the kind of way of asking that to a child remains similar. And it just reminds me as well of some research that's been done specifically on asking children about well-being and then asking their parents about the child's well-being is that the scores didn't really match very well. Parents were either overestimating how well a child was doing with their well-being or underestimating and scoring it worse than the child. Because well-being, like pain actually, is very subjective. It's not something you see physically in a child. It's a very much an internal experience that you can only observe in a child by their behaviours and some subtle signs or things that they're sharing, things that they're saying. So it's such an internal experience that as an outsider, even a caregiver who knows a child very well, you're always making an interpretation and a guess because we can't physically see actually what's going on other than using the biomarkers. So yeah, it's interesting there that we really need to hear from the child to make sure we have a comprehensive understanding and a full understanding because even yeah, those caregivers like from those studies were over or underestimating how well a child was doing. So it's yeah, it's interesting that kind of perspective. Yeah, I think it'll be a really good stepping stone moving into the future of this relationship with Sterling Uni and Ponies Help Children, being able to see what the children are really getting out of it and from their perspective what are they gaining from it because a parent might see that they're maybe sleeping a little bit better or are more restful in the house but what does the child feel like their benefits are? Not to put words in their mouth but potentially something like that they are able to enjoy school more or something like that, that something that a parent might not necessarily see, hopefully these children will be able to give their own interpretation of what the services are providing. 
Exactly. And I think with the children, what we're kind of the direction we're kind of going in is that we still have those kind of uh, basic questions like how well are you doing? Like how how do you feel your social interactions are? But we have a lot more open questions. So like you say, that we don't put the words in their mouth so that we just say like, can you just let us know what helped you the most or what do you feel has benefited you the most so that they can actually just write down with their own words what helped them. And then from there on, we can see how that works. And again, I think it's going to be what we call an iterative process, the same way it's come with the evaluation forms for the parents that will try this one out and then evaluate it, see how well it works and make some changes if needed until we come to the kind of final version. And this is what I like about the relationship that ponies help children where we really work very well together of like evaluating things and not being stuck on, well, that's how we've been doing it for the past five years. So let's do it, keep doing it that way. No, we constantly look at it to make sure it's still fit for purpose. That's a really neat way of how we work together, I find. That's excellent. Thank you very much for um, today's discussion. I've really enjoyed it and I've got a lot out of it. Um, Something that mum and I have always spoken about for years is that the charity, we can see it from an emotional point of view, we can see the change. But being able to have someone on board who is able to do the scientific research and back it up with evidence is absolutely fantastic and it's fantastic to hear it from you rather than normally I hear it from mum and mum kind of gets terms mixed up a little bit so it's been really really (laughs) fantastic and I hope our listeners have got something out of it on the benefits that the charity provide so thank you very much please stay tuned for future episodes as always keep up to date on social media for any updates on the charity and we'll be back soon thank you everyone